I want to invite you, if you would, to uh, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 1 as we begin our time continuing in our study of David. Bitterness. Bitterness normally starts as a small seed, typically from a wound. And when it begins to bloom and blossom, it grows until it consumes us. And typically, if you know anything about bitterness, and we all do, people, this blooms quickly to the point where it monopolizes our thoughts, it compromises our actions and our emotions, and we've all been stuck there some time. And in fact, just for a moment, I, I know that we're in church, I know we all look beautiful, I know we want everyone around us just to think the best of us. We have all been there with bitterness. True? Okay, 10 of you responded. True? We've all been there. We've all had bitter thoughts, we've all had bitter responses. It's all been in there, tucked on the inside. Bitterness in Scripture is likened to the disease of cancer. It is something that is happening on the inside. It manages to grow internally. And here's the thing. People may not see it. Like, people may think that everything is normal. Man, they look great. They might even think that person's spiritual. Like, everything is happening for them. While at the same time, this thing is multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and it's growing and it's consuming us all on the inside and it grows because we continue to feed it in our thoughts. And it may not always be big portions at first. It may just be a small morsel here or there. But it's all on the inside. In fact, here's the way Jesus said, because... Um, he was, he was talking to the crowd in Matthew chapter 5, and at first he talked about lust. And he says, you know, you've heard people say don't commit adultery, but he says, I tell you, anyone who commits lust in his heart, because he's getting at the heart, has committed adultery already. And then he says this, now you've also heard don't commit murder. And we're all like, okay, you know, I have not committed murder. I read a great meme this week. I read too many memes, you know that? And, and the person said, uh, I'm writing a book, and I've decided to kill off three characters to make it even more interesting. My autobiography is just going to be great. Okay, some of you get that later. He's, Jesus said, you've heard, do not commit murder. And then he says, however... If you're dealing with anger in your heart, guess where you're already at? Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and his bitterness. I want to show you a, a picture. And this really, this really envelops what bitterness truly is. Because in bitterness, we feel that we're getting back. In bitterness, we feel that we're taking shots or we're inflicting pain or hurt on the other person. Man, I'm getting them, I'm getting them. But in reality, we're hurting ourselves because think about it. We think we're hurting them, but whose heart races? 
We think we're getting them, but whose blood pressure rises? We think we're getting them, but who loses sleep? We think we're getting them, but who gets the headache? Or who gets the stomach ache? Or whose attitude changes? And just like this hammer, we are pounding the nail and pounding the nail and pounding the nail when in all actuality, the greatest damage in bitterness that is done is, is done to ourselves. And so today we are approaching the big transition for David. You know, all along he was, he was told, you know, you are the next anointed one to be king over Israel. And the only one between him and that is King Saul. And all of this time, all of this drama was happening between he and and Saul, and finally, the long-awaited journey to the throne of Israel will be realized. And so just for a bit of background, if you've not been with us the past couple weeks, Saul was no longer hearing from God. And so he ended up taking matters into his own hands, and he sought out a medium or a spiritist and was absolutely horrified when God brought up the spirit of the deceased prophet Samuel in their midst. And Samuel delivered a message to Saul and said, Saul, you are going to have your life taken from you in battle. And it's going to be tomorrow. The Lord will hand over both you, both Israel and you, into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And he says, the Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. And that is what happened in 1 Samuel 31. And so here we go over to um, 2 Samuel chapter 1. And, and I don't know if you can remember through our study, here's the things that happened from Saul to David. So Saul threw a spear seeking to kill David. Saul sent men after David to take his life. Saul decided and uh, to divide David from his wife and family. Saul caused David to hide in the caves of the desert for safety because he wanted to kill him. Saul broke promises to David not to touch him or try to harm him. Saul tried to pit his son Jonathan against his best friend David. And, you know, if, if we passed around a quiz and said, who is David's worst enemy in the entire Bible, all of us would write down there, it was King Saul. Saul tried to do him dirty time and time and time again. David's life was altered for the worst because of this man. But now Saul, in 1 Samuel 31, is dead. He dies in battle. How would you respond if you were David? All of the pain all of the drama, all of the hurt, he dies. Well, let's look at how David responds. And we're going to see that freedom from bitterness is evidenced by, and we're going to see some beautiful things in 2 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 15 verses from the text, and then we got three things we're going to learn from this that shows freedom from bitterness. Starting in verse 1, if you're in 2 Samuel 1, first 15 verses, here's the account. It says, After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. 
On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. (coughs) Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I've escaped from the Israelite camp. Well, what happened? David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. And when he turned around, he saw me, and he called out to me and said, What can I do? And he asked me, who are you? And Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and I killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I'm the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. And David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the men and said, Go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. Interesting account. Let's jump into it. 2 Samuel 1. Freedom from bitterness. Here we go. Freedom from bitterness. Friends, we all need this. All of us. Freedom from bitterness is evidenced by, I'm going to give us three things. Number one, it's evidenced by care and compassion. Genuine care and compassion. Here are ways we know that freedom is found legitimately in our hearts through care and compassion. Now I know we're in church, I know we all look nice, But let's be honest on this. When your arch enemy, who's been a thorn in your side for years, deserving of God's judgment, is now dead. Come on. Right now, what would you be thinking in your mind? Would you be thinking, well... I know you may not say it out loud. They had that coming. Some of you may be a little less spiritual and might be singing like on the Wizard of Oz. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The witch is dead. You might might have all kinds of arrays of thinking in your head. David's response showed his heart. It was void of bitterness And it's so significant to note the actions of David and his men. And and just look at the text. Look at verses 11 and 12 
and how he responded says, then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept for Saul, Jonathan, and the army of the Lord. Now, I know that it says Jonathan and the army of the Lord. I can understand that. But for Saul? I want to give you um, an understanding here. The word for mourned in, in the Hebrew is an intense word. It's, it's this word kafad, and it means, it means to tear. You talk about an intense sorrow. It means to tear the hair, to beat the chest. Like these people were just ripped. Like they were so tore up that this had happened, and Saul was even in the midst of their sorrow. Now, just to be open with you, sometimes the extent of my care and compassion today is the click of like do i do the heart emoji or do i do the hug emoji and this is something far beyond that even to someone who is his arch enemy and when it came to the death of our greatest enemy face it this is something that would be foreign to the response of just about everybody in this room including the man standing up here on this platform right now. He mourned Saul's death. John Locke, an English philosopher, said, if you dig down far enough in the earth, you come to water. If you bore down deep enough into life, you come to tears. And I don't know what it was for David. Whether it's divine-like forgiveness, compassion for Saul's condition, or genuine remorse for how things could have been, but whatever it was, I know what it was not. It was not bitterness. I, I want to move to the second one. I think when we pull these together, we're going to see a bigger picture. Number two, freedom from bitterness, it is evidenced by care and compassion. It's also evidenced by honor. This is interesting. It's evidenced by honor. So the last chapter of 1 Samuel detailed the death of Saul. Can, can we investigate something? If you have your open copy of the scriptures or your phone or whatever it is, just look back at 1 Samuel 31. Look at verse 3 to 5. This is what really happened when Saul died. So we're going to see what's different from here than 2 Samuel 1. So this is what happened, verses 3 to 5 of 1 Samuel 31. So notice here it says, The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. So here's the deal. Saul killed himself. He was wounded, and Saul killed himself, and then his armor bearer also killed himself. Now, do you notice what happened in 2 Samuel 1? The Amalekites said, Saul was dying and said to me, kill me, so I killed him. Do you notice the disparity between the two? So understanding that, we would ask the question, 
why do you think he would falsely take credit for killing Saul and telling David such a thing? Well, I think we all know why. Because David would see Saul as his enemy, and here's my chance to maybe get some brownie points with David. Like, hey, I took out the guy that's been a thorn in your side all these years, and maybe I can get some notoriety. <laughs> maybe I can get maybe some possessions. Maybe I can get a position. In fact, one Bible scholar said the opportunist here, the Amalekite, was hoping he'd find favor with David by claiming he had taken the life of Saul. Everyone knew of the rift between Saul and David, and this Amalekite felt he, maybe, he would be given gifts or position, having done the deed of taking Saul out. And this is the reality for so many people. When one is unpopular, one gains popularity by spreading gossip or by doing deeds against that person. I gain, I'm elevated by standing on top of the person while they're down. Happens time and time again. I love this story. <coughs> it kind of illustrates it perfectly. Michigan State head football coach, going back about 50 years. His name is Duffy Doherty. Does that ring a bell to some old Michigan State guys here? Yeah. So old Michigan State head football coach Duffy Doherty received a letter addressed simply to Duffy the Dope. No address, no zip code, just Duffy the Dope. He was asked by a reporter, didn't that make you mad? He replied, I didn't mind getting the card, he said. It was actually pretty funny said, the thing that bothered me the most was that the East Lansing Post Office knew exactly where to deliver it. <laughs> you know, when someone's down, someone feels more popular by standing on them and grandstanding. It's my chance to get a one-up. I make myself better by dishonoring the other. And here's where David made a statement. He made a huge statement. And it may seem dramatic to us. David respected, would you hear this? David respected Saul in life even though Saul was not very respectable. And David honored Saul in death, even though he wasn't very honorable. And that says something, people. There was evidence. He evidenced a heart that was void of bitterness. He showed it through his care and compassion. He showed it visibly through honor. Here's the third one. He showed it through action. Action. 
This is an interesting thing, starting in verse 17. We didn't read all the way down here at the beginning of our time and discussion together. I don't know how your Bible looks when you get to this point, or if you're on an app, how it looks. But in my copy of the Scripture, all of a sudden, the wording starting in verse 19 is kind of centered, and you realize this is written in like a poetic form. So it says in verse 17, David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. And he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. Now just to make sure we're on the same page, this lament is a song. And the bow is is not a weapon. It's an instrument. So can I... I, This is just... Incredible. So David says, I'm going I'm to write a song. I'm going to write a song for Saul and for Jonathan. And in fact, I want everyone to learn it. I want everyone to sing it. So he steps into this point of, of action and, and you can just read through all of this, but just some of the Some of the words that come, like even down in verse 21, mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain, may no showers fall on your terraced fields, for there the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul, no longer rubbed with oil. He even mentions, as he goes along, Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired. And in death they were not parted. Look at verse 24. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. Beautiful action. Not only for himself, but he wanted to infect other people with this. And and I'm not sure where you're at here today, but I just want to be open with you. This This is beyond me. When I struggle with these thoughts in my mind and in my heart, a challenge with someone else, hard enough for me to think well but then to infect other people with those kinds of thoughts (laughs) yeah you wonder where in the world would he get this kind of mentality where would he get this kind of a heart of forgiveness How, how in the world could he ever interact with someone so if I could put it, so lost, so depraved, so off-center, and respond to him in love, in honor, in graciousness, in forgiveness, where would he get something like this? Can I just share with you, the only place you get something like this is from God. This is someone with a heart after God. Can I just read for you verses that, that just exposed the heart of God for all of us to see. From Exodus 34, he would have understood this David from the Pentateuch. A man after God's own heart. Verses 6 and 7. 
Here's the, here's the um, illustration of God as he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Just imagine that, people. Still just, because he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. But the reality that God, even in some way, is compassionate and gracious and, and hits the pause in his anger and it shows he abounds in love and faithfulness. Friends, let's just put us in that category and realize how patient God has been with us. Put all of our sin and the heap of it in this pile and just realize how patient and long-suffering and forgiving God has been with us. And we get a picture of that and waltz away from our self-righteousness. That's when we realize the heart of God and the way he wants us to respond to others. No one is offended more than God. No one forgives more than God. So I just want to ask you, what are you holding on to today? What are you holding on to? Now, I got this um, from Tim Manzer over at New Hope. He's a good pastor friend, great guy. And um, he said, how, how much do you think this container of water weighs so you know you could probably guess how oh, it weighs eight ounces or 12 ounces or 16 ounces and and um so he says you know um don't look at the weight in how much it physically weighs but look at the weight in how long you hold it because if you hold it here for a minute it's probably not going to be a big deal. Uh, if I hold it here for an hour, number one, you're going to be bored stiff watching me. Number two, my arm is going to... The weight of it doesn't change. But the length of time I'm holding on to it, man, my arm is going to get really tired and probably shaky maybe even numb. And if I try to hold on to this thing all day long, I'm not even going to be able to move my arm after a while. It's going to be immobilized. And it is going to be hurting. That's kind of the idea. What we hang on to in life, the actual size of it isn't what's significant as much as it is what we, how long we hold on to it. Because there are some things we were never meant to carry. And the longer we hold on to it, the more paralyzed and incapable of doing things we become. 
So the moral is, um, put it down. Here's the verse from Scripture, Ephesians 4.32, and the example is God. Forgiving others like God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. There's certain weights God never intended us to shoulder. We were never meant to carry some of the things that we try to manage, and bitterness and resentment is, is just one of them. And a big key to understanding this forgiveness is just seeing what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we see how Jesus forgave us, man, that's a great boost toward understanding how we can forgive others who have done much lesser things to us. And so I just want to get personal here as we finish up. Are you carrying something that you should have laid down a long, long time ago? Maybe an argument with your spouse, maybe a wound from a family member, maybe an employer, maybe a, a church member, maybe a pastor, maybe a friend. And I, I don't want to make light of your situation. I, I don't want to make light of maybe a wound. You know, but for the pain you experienced and the hurt that you bore from the past, maybe a month ago or six months ago, you know, shame on them. Shame on them. But if we're a year or farther down the road, can I just, can I just say lovingly, maybe shame on us? Shame on us. It's no longer on them. That's not like Jesus. It's a weight he never intended us to carry. That's the nail in our hammer handle. That's something eating us up like cancer. And the only treatment that rids one of that is the treatment of Forgiveness to release one continuously of their guilt and treat them with care and honor and with action just like David did and just like God does. And so I want to finish with two things, and here's what they are right now. In order to get there with this, we need to embrace and experience God's forgiveness. Embrace and experience God's forgiveness. We won't forgive unless we fully embrace God's forgiveness. This is so critical legalism kills forgiveness self-righteousness fuels bitterness and kills forgiveness this whole thought man i am so good i do things well and right and they're all screwed up will kill forgiveness it fuels bitterness on the inside when we begin to realize we are desperately in need of God's forgiveness, when we see reality, that's the point when we come face to face with we can forgive others because we have done much, much worse with God. Embrace and experience God's forgiveness. You know, I just think it was the Pharisees who felt they did it all perfect and never forgave. It was the older brother of the prodigal that wouldn't give up his grudge. 
And it's the self-righteous believer that thinks they do everything awesome and has the hardest time with holding on to bitterness. So in humility, we recognize our sin, what we deserve. We experience Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And those who believe they are forgiven much, and we are, friends. Those who believe they're forgiven much, forgive much. Amen? Those who believe they're forgiven much, forgive much. Those who believe they're forgiven little, forgive little. Here's number two. Practice, care, compassion, honor, and action. I know I said practice. In other words, we're always going to be practicing. Practice, care, compassion, honor, and action. I got, I got a tremendous account for you. I love this. It's from an old buddy of mine back in Norwich, New York. His name is Arnold Nauman. He owned a general store in South Otselik, which I'm sure you all have heard of South Otselik, New York. Little rinky-dink place, old little tiny general store. It was in his family for many, many years. And um, Arnold, when I met him, was in his late 70s. He passed away in his 80s. I did his funeral. His main phrase in life was, love one another. He stole it from Jesus. That was his big phrase, love one another. We ended up buying a plaque at his funeral. We put it above our, um, above the door going into our auditorium, love one another. It was in, it was in huge letters at his funeral um, up on the platform, love one another. And the man lived it. I'll show you. One day he was in the general store and a man came in and was arguing with him over a can of corn and the price of it. And the man got so upset that he smashed out a window and then punched Arnold on the chin, requiring Arnold to go get six or seven stitches um, across his chin. And about two months passed, and the man walked back into Arnold's store and um, said he was sorry and asked for forgiveness. And Arnold forgave him. And then to prove that Arnold forgave him, he decided to take all of his kids, and Arnold, like someone else you know, had seven children, took all of his kids trick-or-treating at that man's home. And, and the kids hated it because all the man handed out was prunes. <laughs> but he took all the kids there, kind of to prove, hey, I'm okay with you. Two years later, the man had cancer. And only one person went to visit him in the hospital. Guess who? Yeah. Practicing it. Practicing care, compassion, honor, action. Forgiveness isn't words. It's not an emoji. It's action. I'm so glad for Jesus it wasn't merely words. It was action that went all the way to the cross and ended up in his death where he bore the penalty that we deserve for our sin. And he took upon himself the wrath that we deserve from God. 
when he died in our place so we could be forgiven. And people who embrace that realize we can be free from bitterness. Would you stand with me? The third thing I got on there, we experience and embrace God's forgiveness. We practice care, compassion, honor, and action. And then we repeat. Like, the, the moment you think, I've got it, I never deal with bitterness. Yeah, that's the moment you're dead and in heaven. Um, repeat. You'll never defeat unless we repeat. And we need to keep just doing this over and over and over and over. And the only time you'll never need really to deal with bitterness is if no one ever does you dirty ever again the rest of your life. And you know when that'll happen. That'll be never. Friends, here's your opportunity. Embrace the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Believe he died for you when he died on the cross. And have that be the filter that you view everyone else. God's forgiven me more. I can forgive them of less. I don't need to hold on to this. I don't need to punish myself and hurt myself. It's time to put the glass down. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, there's people here, I know it, who carry this weight that we don't need to. You never intended us to carry it. And thank you for the example and the action of Jesus. And thank you, Father, that we not only have that example, but we have the ability because of him to put it down, to forgive. And Father, like with David, we see just the tremendous freedom that he experienced. And I pray, Father, on behalf of people throughout this room and online, God, a freedom that we can experience in our relationships that will show people the difference Jesus makes in us. Please help that to happen today. Give freedom. Make a difference in our lives. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Together we pray. Yeah, amen. God bless your day. Have a great one. Look forward to seeing you in March, friends. Here it comes. Take care.